Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. In trying to figure out how to uh, open this show, the PFF award show here, I decided to Google, um, you know, award ceremony introduction speech. I didn't show up in a tuxedo, so I'm already letting the side down. Um, but I was like, I, I can redeem it. I can fix it with the introduction speech. So according to Google, what you should do is first introduce yourself. So I'm Sam Monson. Welcome to the PFF uh, NFL Awards for 2023. And then you're supposed to thank the group or organization asking you to speak. So I'd like to thank PFF for allowing me the opportunity to present these great awards. And of course, for inviting and slash compelling Trevor Sikama to sit in the other chair as we work through the NFL Awards. So welcome into the PFF NFL fellow awards welcome in trevor how's it going good sir i'd like to thank absolutely no one yeah. i'm the one who got me here mm -hmm. i pulled myself up from my own bootstraps no i'm kidding uh, dude this is gonna be exciting uh, i i love being a part of this pff nfl award show it gives me a great opportunity to go back and really review a lot of the best in the nfl offensive defensive players the coaches all the wacky uh, different awards that we get to do kind of at the end well i shouldn't say wacky but it's the creative ones that are different than the ones that you see in mainstream media and so um i'm, I'm looking forward to this man there's gonna be good conversations some good recognition there's some very good football players yeah so we're gonna run through the awards that we have here it's not a complete list of the pff awards what we've done is taken the official ap awards uh from the ballot that they sent me literally copied and pasted and then we've added wow. some of the wow. uh, brag brag the yeah, yeah. ap gotta, ballot gotta, vote we gotta remind people um, and then we've added some of PFFs, you know, some of the things that aren't on the official AP award. So the Dwight Stevenson award, uh, PFFs kind of flagship award. Think of it as an NFL Heisman, right? So the best player, regardless of position, forget the value element, just the best player in the NFL. And then we've got a few more involved in this as well. And we'll run through them all. Um, we, it's not an exhaustive list. You'll find the article on pff.com. You can go read it for the explanations as well. And then we will talk about the winners and some of the obvious candidates as well for each award. Um, and we will fire through them all starting in just a moment. But if I can get this Slack thing to actually work, there is a brand new fancy ad read for our title sponsor, Fabric. Uh, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. 
It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is a perfect time to get it done, so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes, and then apply it when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Trev, let's start with the big one. Let's start with the flagship, the one that everyone wants to talk about. It's the MVP award. Um, so how do you, how should, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's game this out. What should the structure be? Should we talk about the winner uh, and then kind of mention some honorable uh, mention candidates? Should I ask you who your MVP would be and then do it from that, that way? How, wh- how do we do this? Uh, well, you have ultimate decision because you host more of this show than I do. But also, I did written. come up with my own <laughs> okay. player for every single one of these these categories. So if you let's wanted to kind of like go back and forth, and then obviously you get ultimate say in whoever we're naming, we can do that. All right, let's something. do that way. So who would your MVP be? So I'm kind of cheating here because if I had an AP vote, you know, if I was as cool as you mm. and actually had an AP vote for MVP, I'd be voting for Lamar Jackson. But okay. I think that you're going to say Lamar Jackson. So I'm going to shout out the guy who is next on my list, the guy who I think that deserves a lot of recognition here. And because Lamar feels like the obvious pick, I don't think Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott's giving getting enough love for just the caliber of season that he had. If you're looking at some of the key statistics that we have at PFF and some common statistics, 89.8 passing grade this season. That's second among quarterbacks. 6.3 big-time throw percentage. That's first. 2.0 turnover-worthy play percentage. That's also first, which is extremely impressive to be first in both categories. 77.6 adjusted completion percentage, which is sixth. 105.9 quarterback rating this season, which is second. And it's the fact that, sure, the Cowboys were expected to do well this year. Their over-under was nine and a half for their wins. But they're two and a half games above that, you know? And so, like, they they absolutely overachieved. So they took a good team and they overachieved. And I really believe that the way that Prescott played is the reason why. I think a lot of people look at MVP and... I understand because the word value is in there. So you go like, oh, like which team has the worst supporting cast around this player? And I think that that's a way to judge the award. But I sometimes feel like there's a little too much weight that goes into it because just just because that there are talented players on the Cowboys offense, on their offensive line, the receivers, whatever, that doesn't take away from how brilliant Dak has been and what he has been as a catalyst for that team ultimately winning the division, winning 12 games this year, and looking like the second best team in the NFC. And I just, I want to give Dak his flowers here because he is the Cowboys quarterback. I think he gets a lot of praise, but I do certainly think that he gets way too much blame when things go bad. And for a season that was generally brilliant for him for most of the year, I wanted to give him a nod as as to 
how close I think he should be in this conversation to MVP with Lamar. No, it's a good one. I'll give you two more stats or data points that back up your, your Dak Prescott argument. He's number two in both PFF passing grade and overall grade, and he's number one in PFF war. So a metric designed to quantify how valuable a player is, he's the number one guy in that. I think Dak definitely has the strongest uh, runner-up candidacy in my eyes. I did go with Lamar Jackson. The reason why was really one of like elimination more than which guy won it. Every time, this was such a weird year for MVP. Every time there was like a consensus, that guy immediately had a disqualifying game. And it's like, well, he can't be MVP anymore. Everyone had just about finally aligned on the idea of, you know what, Brock Purdy probably has earned MVP. And then he got wrecked by Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens. You're like, well, that's that gone. Can't happen now. Um, and Lamar is the only guy for whom that didn't happen. Every time, every time somebody became the front runner for MVP, they had this disqualifying performance or a game where they just it, it knocked them out of the running and they never got back there. Um, and Lamar Jackson, when he became the guy, he had two games against the two biggest tests, I think, that the Ravens had this season. And he was at his best in those games. Like the 49ers game, they destroyed them. The Dolphins game, they destroyed them. And Lamar was front and center for that happening. So I, I think there is something to the idea of, you know, big moments, the sort of that Heisman moment that people talk mm -hmm. about for college. I think there's something to that for MVP. I will say, though, as, as an AP voter, um, mm -hmm. my vote was going to Tyreek Hill before he got injured. Like, because that, and it was around we'll get, the same we'll time. We'll get to Tyreek Hill yeah. later in this show, trust me. And it was around the same time that Lamar sort of cemented MVP with those games was about the same time Tyreek Hill got injured and, and missed some time and, and sort of took himself out of that running. But if Tyreek Hill had stayed healthy, had, you know, run right up to that 2,000-yard barrier and had been like the only candidate again that hadn't fallen off some way, shape, or form without an obvious, like, definite, superstar consensus at quarterback candidate i was ready to vote for tyreek hill but he did get hurt the dolphins didn't drop off when he did so lamar jackson got my mvp yeah i hear you there and we'll 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 talk plenty about tyreek hill as we kind of go through these awards so i don't feel the need to back that up yet i will later in the show okay i'm gonna skip ahead for a bit because i think the dwight stevenson award is better presented once we've gone through some of the top offense and defensive candidates um so let's go let's go to offensive player of the year then um who did you have for that so you know it's funny that we go immediately to offensive player of the year because I went with Christian McCaffrey because, again, I'm, I'm giving Tyree Kill a, a different award here in this show. But if you wanted to say, okay, well, you can't give him one and, and not the other, all right, fine, give this one to Tyreek. It doesn't matter. Like, he he is the guy that we're going to talk about later for um, his unbelievable performance this season. But I think McCaffrey also earns the nod, right? A lot of people talk about him as the obvious offensive player of the year, and I don't know if it's as obvious as people think because I, I don't think that Tyreek Hill is getting enough weight in that regard. But when you look at Christian McCaffrey, this year for him is the most yards for, from scrimmage that he has had in a season since that crazy 1,000-1,000 year that he had back in 2019 with Carolina, where he had almost 2,400 yards. He had 2,392 yards that season. He has 223 yards right now, but he has he did that on 64 less touches than what we saw in 
2019. So like the volume was just simply insane from Christian McCaffrey in 2019. But in a lot of ways, this season here is very similar and even better to that one. We just can't say the cool thing of like, oh, it's not quite a thousand and a thousand. So it's not like a cool thing to say there. But look, the way that they use him, even outside of the the obvious production that he has, the way that, that Kyle Shanahan uses him in so many unique perspectives of a true offensive weapon um, just speaks to, I think, what the award itself should represent, which is the words offensive player. Like you are not like it's not necessarily wide receiver of the year, running back of the year, whatever. It is truly, okay, who is the best overall offensive player? And I think versatility really does play a large factor into that. And so that's ultimately why I went with McCaffrey over Tyreek Hill because he has that production, but he also just has that versatility. And when the Brock Purdy conversations were coming up with him, you know, potentially being MVP, a lot of people push back on it and they're like, okay, you take per- if you replace Purdy like with let's say Jimmy Garoppolo, how different is this for San, San Francisco? It's different, but it's not that big of a drop off. You take Christian McCaffrey away, all of a sudden the things that you get to do in that offense get more limited. And I think that because of that, what he means and the versatility that he has the kind of player he is. That's why I think I had to give him um, the offensive player of the year tag. Yeah, I think there are two obvious candidates for this. It's basically a coin flip between McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill. Um, I ended up going with Tyreek Hill. Again, as I said, he was going to be my MVP until he got hurt, missed a little bit of time, didn't quite have the the back end of the, the start of the season. But even with that, he ends up with one of the best graded seasons we've ever seen. Um, basically 1,800 receiving yards, 3.83 yards per route run. That is a new PFF record. So the last, what are we now, 17 seasons of, of stat collecting and grading, 3.83 yards per route run is an insane number. The previous record was 3.6 something by Steve Smith in 2008. And that season is significant. Like that was way ahead of anything else, the 3.6. So Julio Jones used to own this number with like 3.2, 3.1 yards per route run over the course of a season. For Tyreek Hill to be the primary receiver in that offense and get 3.8 for a season is crazy production. So I, I think it's really between those two guys. It's also, by the way, it's kind of interesting that Offensive player of the year sort of tends to get treated as, well, this is the way we reward the non-quarterback players. You know, MVP Mm -hmm. is a quarterback award, so offensive player of the year goes to somebody else. I think you could make an argument that, you know, Lamar Jackson or Dak or whoever belongs in this conversation as well, but just for streamlining purposes, it's probably easier to avoid them. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, and and that's, that's ultimately why I tend to, lean towards versatility for this award because of what you said you know if if it's a neck and neck race between two incredible football players with lamar jackson and dak prescott okay one of them wins mvp the other one wins offensive player of the year basically especially when you talk about the importance of what they do for a football team but in order to sort of have a tangible reason why i'm avoiding that I like to throw in versatility because I think that it do ma- it, it it does matter when you talk about the name of the award and I think what the spirit of the award is. So for me, that's why as great as Tyreek Hill is, as great as the quarterbacks have been, you know, people in the chat are saying like Ceedee Lamb as well. Ceedee Lamb, incredible season too. M- what McCaffrey does with his versatility gives him the nod for me with this award. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think that's absolutely fair. Let's move on to the one that's really going to piss people off: <laughs> defensive player of the year. Um, oh, who's your, who's mine's your really going to piss people off. Mm-hmm. Um, no, okay. So I'm going to actually, I'm going to actually use my um, guest hosting power here, and okay. I'm going to have you go first. Ah, I, see. I want you. I want you to go first because I'm I'm going to throw a massive curveball at people. Massive curveball. Okay. Uh, it's yeah. it's Miles Garrett. Um, I think this is an incredibly difficult award to pick this year. There are a ton of guys that had absolutely ridiculous seasons. Like, there are some years where Defensive Player of the Year effectively picks itself. There's one guy with an amazing season. There's other guys with good seasons, but it's a clear and obvious Defensive Player of the Year. This year, you can make a very compelling case for, like, half a dozen players um, and it's really difficult to split them. Like Micah Parsons and Aiden Hutchinson became the fourth and fifth guys in PFF's grading history. Now, look, Steve would point out over there, seventeenth, uh, you know, seventeenth game. It's an extra game. Of course, they're going to get these. But anyway, fourth and fifth guy ever to have a hundred plus pressures in a season. That's an important thing. Um, you know, Deron Bland with his what was it, six pick sixes by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Again, NFL record, like incredible season from him. Miles Garrett didn't just have the best pass rush win rate this season. It's the best pass rush win rate we've ever seen by about three percentage points, like an absolutely ludicrous rate. He had his best season. I think he's already been playing at a defensive player of the year kind of level for uh, two to three years now. And suddenly the Browns surrounded him with better talent and we just got to see it way more uh, obviously. Like it became so apparent just how good Miles Garrett was and he had his best year. I think he's the defensive player of the year. I would also go with him uh, if I was picking one of these edge rushers okay. simply because that pass rush win percentage number is stupid. So I want to just stop you for a second. We threw up this graphic on the the screen. I forget who this came from, actually. Tommy Jaggy, maybe, is that his name, um, on Twitter? But he basically compiled this giant composite of every stat you can possibly think of for a bunch of pass rushers and color-coded it, you know, conditional formatting, green, good, red, not so good relative to some of these other guys, though, and often, in many cases, still very good, you know, Mm -hmm. relative to average, just not relative to other Defensive Player of the Year candidates. And I think it shows, really interestingly, the sort of the the argument, effectively, right? Because a lot of Steelers fans are certainly going to be complaining that T.J. Watt is not Defensive Player of the Year. He led the league in sacks again. And his graphic is fascinating because all of the, like, box score counting stats are green. He's, like, the best in those, right, leading the league in sacks, et cetera. Uh, And then all of the ones that are more um, subjective or tape-based or involve digging a little bit deeper in terms of rate stats are not as good. And they actually end up at the lower end of the spectrum for some of these guys. So... Miles Garrett is not quite the reverse. I mean, he's got some very good counting stats as well, but certainly more in that direction where the the more you get into the tape, the more you get into the subjective nature of what exactly he's doing, the better his numbers look. Um, but it, it that kind of graphic shows, certainly among pass rushers, the conversation is Miles Garrett versus Micah Parsons, not Miles Garrett versus TJ Watt, unless you want to value those sacks you know, force fumble plays abnormally high, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's an open discussion. But again, if I go back to PFF war, 
a statistical you know way of calculating that and, and quantifying how much a play like that is worth what is not number one in pff war among edge rushers in fact he's closer to five than he is one yeah i again i i, I would be going with garrett simply because the pastor's win percentage grade is stupid you look at micah parsons and I think he finished with like a 24.1 to end the year. And that's even close to what the record is. You're yeah. mentioning like, oh, the record for a single season, the passer win percentage. Parsons is there. Garrett's three, three percentage points higher, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's so far ahead that I feel like it. the debate with all of these guys, even though Parsons has more pressures, I'm just, I, I would go with Garrett. Again, there's not a wrong answer. My curveball that I'm throwing at you, I don't care if I sound like a homer here. I'm doing it here on this show. Antoine Winfield Jr., Defensive Player of the Year, okay? This is one of the most versatile safeties, having one of the most incredible seasons that is just getting snubbed beyond belief because he happens to play in Tampa and Tom Brady doesn't play there anymore, okay? I'm going to read you off some Antoine Winfield Jr. stats. Now, these are his stats compared to other safeties, okay? there's Okay, yeah, linebackers are going to have more tackles than him. Corners might have more interceptions, whatever. He is playing his singular position. So of other players that play his position, I'm going to tell you the stat, and I'm going to tell you where it ranks this year in the NFL. Okay? Sacks, six, first in the NFL. Pass rush grade, 92.7, tied for first in the NFL. Pressures from a safety spot, 19, that's second in the NFL. Uh, Pass rush win percentage is a safety on the blitz, 21.7%. That's second in the NFL. Run defense grade, 92.5, so that's first. So anybody out there who's listening... Paying attention, pass risk grade for a safety, first. Run defense grade for a safety, first. Coverage grade, 84.4, that's 11th. Interceptions, three, that's 11th. But pass breakups, seven, that's second. Forced incompletions, eight, that's second. Forced fumbles, six, that's first. Fumble recoveries, four, that's first. Penalties on 642 coverage snaps, zero. Count them, zip, nada, None on over 600 coverage snaps. The man had zero penalties from a safety spot where you are often trying to cover the plays that matter the most, where if you are beat deep at all whatsoever, you got to prevent a touchdown. You got to foul these dudes. He was never in that position. Not once. Also, to give you a little bit of context from the force fumbles, because people might look at force fumbles and you say like, oh, yeah, cool. Here's why it's more than just, oh, yeah, cool for Antoine Winfield Jr. Two of those force fumbles that he had were players who were inches away from scoring touchdowns, and he put his body on the line, laid out, punched the football out, and it went out of bounds for a turnover back to the defense. That's at least a 12-point swing there. You make the extra point, it's a 14-point swing. One of the other forced fumbles that he had caused a safety. We're talking about potentially 16-point swing from a safety this season due to just forced fumbles and what Antoine Winfield Jr. is not just having a Pro Bowl season in which he did not get voted for the Pro Bowl he is having an all pro season and he's having one of the best seasons this entire season from a defensive player that's my rant don't care if you say that I'm biased Antoine Winfield <laughs> Jr. deserves his respect I mean you are biased but you're not wrong I mean you're not crazy it's it's a good argument um I think he's absolutely having an all pro season I mean the Pro Bowl is a farce and that his his snubbing is one of the reasons for that. Uh, he's absolutely having an all-pro season. I can't quite get him to defensive player of the year, but I think you made a very compelling case. One last 
note to put a bow on this. Again, going back to PFF war, a statistical uh, effort at quantifying value, Garrett is the number one uh, edge defender by a reasonable margin. Micah Parsons is number two. So the, those kind of numbers back up that element of it. Um, Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. All right, let's go to Rookie of the Year. So interestingly, the AEP Rookie of the Year, they don't combine them. They only have offense and defensive rookie, which I don't know that I was aware, even though I've already voted for this once. <laughs> All right, so wait, so which one are we All right, reading? so let, let's start. Let's do it. Let's do the composite and then figure out who should be the overall one. Uh, let's start with defensive rookie then, I guess. Okay, I think that it's Will Anderson Jr. I think there's a lot of really nice defensive rookies for Devon Witherspoon to be playing as well as he is starting as a rookie corner. I think that that is certainly noteworthy. The production that Jalen Carter has been able to have, the pressures that he has been able to 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 produce. I mean, like I think that standing out like that has been great for a rookie as well. But I ultimately went with um, Will Anderson Jr. because. He's just been really good at all of it. He's been a really nice run defender. He's been a really good pass rusher. I think he's a very sound football player. And it's really, really hard for rookies to be that. You know, I think that when you look at awards such as MVP or Offensive Player of the Year or Defensive Player of the Year, in general, you don't want to just see average, right? You want to see, like, did they dominate in a certain area where they really impacted the game? Anderson did, certainly, but it's really impressive. For a rookie to be good at basically everything. You know, like he was not a detractor to his team in the run game or the pass game. And in fact, he was a reason why they succeeded this year on that side of the ball. So the well-roundedness that Will Anderson has to me actually means a little bit more than some of these other players who might have had more pressures than him, might have had more a better pass rush win percentage. You know, certainly when you go to defenders, it's like, okay, takeaways, interceptions, forcing completions, things like that. Other guys really were able to do well in certain categories, but the fact that Anderson Jr. was able to come into the NFL, start right away, and play at a really high level for a full 16-game season was super impressive to me. So that's why I had to go with him as my defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I think uh, I think Anderson's absolutely one of the candidates. I think Jalen Carter started off. It looked like he had this award locked up earlier in the season. Uh, the second half of the year for him really fell off. Uh, the flip side of that is Kobe Turner really came on the second half of the year, but wasn't as strong in the first half of the season. Like the, those two guys had opposite seasons and actually ended up in a very similar ballpark in terms of overall production. Kobe Turner ends up the season with 48 total pressures. Carter had 49. Turner's pass rush grade was 80.5. Carter's was 85.9. Uh, Turner ended up with more sacks, 11 to Jalen Carter, 7. But those two guys, I think, were both standouts, were both legitimate candidates for this award. I ended up going with Devin, uh, Devon Witherspoon, though, the Seattle Seahawks corner, who, I mean, it's hard to hit the ground running as a corner in the NFL, even though Sauce Gardner just did it the year before. It's even harder to do it in all areas of the game, which is what Witherspoon excelled at. Like his 
college tape was exactly the same tape as we saw in the NFL. He has 10 pressures as a blitzer. Three of them were sacks. He had 10 pass breakups. He had almost 30 defensive stops, which is a, an insane number. Might actually lead all corners. Doesn't quite, but it's top, uh, top seven. Um, just an incredible season, well-rounded season, amazing year for a rookie at one of the hardest positions in the NFL to play. I think he's defensive rookie of the year. People in the chat are also shouting out uh, Kobe Turner like you did, and you're right. I, I should have mentioned him in the couple of names that I had because he was the other player within that a group of four that I really thought about between Anderson, Turner, Carter, and, uh, and, and Witherspoon for that award because certainly if you take draft position into account – him being a mid-day three selection yeah. and really overplaying that and being able to lead the league in sacks for a rookie is 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 really, really impressive. So um, maybe, you know, maybe it just didn't stand out as much to me because my co-host at NFL Stock Exchange co said that Kobe Turner was one of the biggest combine snubs that there was last year and was really banging the table for him when it came to his guys in the middle of the draft. So maybe I just wasn't surprised enough by the fact that he's playing really well, so... I guess if we're shouting out rookies, which is a good thing to do, I would also I would give at least a mention for Brian Branch, the the Lions slot corner slash safety hybrid player. Uh, I think he's been a steal, and Ivan Pace Jr. for the Vikings, like undrafted uh, linebacker, ends up being like a linchpin of that defense. The the Brian Flores scheme was a green dot guy for for various periods with uh, Jordan Hicks out and and played really well and did more than I think people thought he was capable of. They use him on the blitz a lot, but they also ended up you know, putting him in coverage. He had a good coverage grade by the end of it and made a lot of plays. I would at least give him a shout-out as well. All right, what about offensive rookie? This one's really tough between the two main candidates. Ultimately, I went with C.J. Stroud because it is so, so difficult to be doing what he is doing as a rookie starting quarterback. Not only that, you didn't even drop him in like a phenomenal situation. Obviously, Bobby Slowick has proven himself to be a great offensive coordinator and a potential head coaching candidate, but the wide receiver room there was viewed as one of the worst in the NFL going into the season, and now it's a totally different look. Not to take anything away from the receivers themselves, but yeah, CJ Stroud's a, a big part of that. And the offensive line, we thought that they were going to get Stroud killed, and there have been times when it hasn't been as bad as we thought it was going to be. But there are certainly times where Stroud's pressured, but the way he's been able to play under pressure in some of those biggest moments, some comebacks, some huge throws. You talked about those Heisman moment type of things. I mean, that comeback game against the Buccaneers, I, just, I obviously remember that one well because I watched like every snap of it. But just those kinds of moments, it feels like, have been littered in throughout the season. And for a rookie quarterback to be doing that, I just cannot stress enough how difficult that is, especially coming from an environment like Ohio State where you are surrounded by five-star talent, a wide receiver, at running back, at offensive line. When Ohio State steps on the field, they're basically more talented than every single team that they're going to face, and they know that, and often the results reflect that. So for him to make that jump to the NFL, things to look very different. It's a first-time head coach, Slovak taking over at offense coordinator. It's a budding but rebuilding offensive line and receiver group and to have this kind of production to make the playoffs man uh i had to give it to cj stroud even with puka nakua breaking records this year yeah i, I think those are the definitely the two candidates um i what puka nakua is doing is fantastic i will say though that in this world of 
you know, how difficult is it? Nakua has, has broken a series of records that stood since 1960, right? So that's impressive. On the other hand, um, in the top five of those rankings are rookies that came into the NFL in the last couple of years, right? Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. So it is becoming more common that wide receivers hit the ground running, look really good right away. Now they're not fifth round draft picks, but still it's not, yeah. you know, you look, on the one hand, he did something that hadn't been done since 1960. On the other hand, two people in the last three years came really close to doing it. So I was going to say, and did, did, didn't Nakua have at least two more games than whoever the dude who won it in 1960 Oh, yeah, was? the guy, uh, four. The guy who did it in 1960 had did it yeah. in 13 games. Right, and so it's like, okay, because when I was going back and forth with, the, with this award, my big question was, I'm not trying to disrespect anything that Puka Nakua did, especially, like you said, being a day three draft pick is incredible. But if we aren't allowed to say, oh, he broke the record, let's say he was one yard short of the record. Right. Who are you giving this award to? And I would be giving it to Stroud, and that's ultimately why. Yeah, I mean, my, my point there was was just to say that I think what Stroud is doing is still every bit as as impressive as what Nakua is doing, even though there aren't necessarily records attached to it. Um, look, it, I mean, anyone that listens to the show knows that I was not particularly high on C.J. Stroud coming out. He has been an absolute revelation. You know, we can talk about how much of an impact Bobby Slowick makes or the fact that the, the sort of situation around him has been better than it looked on paper heading into the season. But he's also the one rookie quarterback where when the veteran came in, it looked a lot worse immediately, right? And the veteran's not bad. I mean, you know, they, they had a, they have Case Keenum ready to step in and it immediately didn't function the way it did with Stroud. And then Stroud comes back, the whole offense looks better. He's also done it without some of the weapons that he had, you know, for various points in the year. Tank Dell gets hurt, misses the back end of the season. Nico Collins missed a little bit of time. Like, there were times where it was not an amazing situation at all, even relative to the players that we didn't think were going to make huge impacts. So, you know, we we talked about it on the, the Monday show, I think. Stroud is probably hitting right now like the 97th percentile plus of his range of outcomes when when it came to projecting what he would be in the draft. Mm -hmm. And he now looks like one of the best quarterbacks that's come into the league for years. He looks absolutely fantastic. So I think you have to give him rookie of the year. I agree. I agree with you. So then between those two, between Witherspoon in my case, Stroud uh, and Stroud on on offense, and then Will Anderson in your case and Stroud – uh, on offense, who wins overall rookie of the year? Dang, I did, I guess I, I didn't even click for me that I had <laughs> the two Texans. That's crazy because there was so much talk about the move that they made to go up and get Anderson. Oh man, that's wild. Um, yeah, I mean it's easy. It's it's easily CJ Stroud. You ha- you have to be able to give it to the quarterback. The the degree of difficulty. Not that playing in the trenches is easy whatsoever. And again, I think the well roundedness of Will Anderson is really impressive, but just what Stroud has been doing overall is, um, yeah, that's that's got to get the nod for me. Yeah, same. I, I think what he's doing this year is is genuinely impressive. Um, we you know we do these projections at PFF sometimes, and the way you think of it is like a bell curve, right? And there's there's a small chance that he's going to be absolutely terrible. There's a pretty good chance he's going to be somewhere in the middle, and then there's a small chance he's going to be absolutely amazing. I mean, Stroud is hitting the the really thin end of the amazing end of his spectrum right now, and it's it's incredibly impressive. I certainly didn't expect it, and I, I don't know. Like he's, I've, I keep using this line. He's become the Georgia C.J. Stroud, but all the time. 
That's and that's right. You were correct. That's what I keep going back to is that there were things that I certainly liked about Stroud. I always felt like he had great fundamentals, thought he had great arm talent. I felt like he could hit every throw on the field. But the way that he read the field, especially under pressure at Ohio State outside of that Georgia game, really spooked me because that's something that happens in the NFL. You've got to be able to throw off platform. You got to be able to navigate a pocket. You got to be able to handle pressure well and um, get back on script and, and keep your eyes downfield and just handle things really well. He did that at an excellent level against Georgia, but that was very clearly the best game he'd ever played under that much pressure against that kind of defense. So the big question going into the offseason was, is this the new CJ Stroud? Because this is the last game we saw from him. Yeah. And yeah, the answer ended up being yes. Um, all right, comeback player of the year award. So who's your comeback player of the year? Or do you want me to read you my my blurb for the actual? Yeah, you should article? you should read the blurb first. Yeah, okay. you should read the blurb. First. There are some wild takes out there on comeback player of the year, and to an extent, I understand it because it's one of those awards that has a fuzzy definition, you know. So my write up for comeback player of the year. Comeback player of the year is a very indistinct concept that tends to anger people because of its lack of clarity. Baker Mayfield came back from playing terribly last season in an impressive season. Joe Flacco has probably led the has improbably led the Browns back to the playoffs as their fourth quarterback of the year, fresh off the couch at 38 years of age. Also very impressive. DeMar Hamlin made it back to, to an NFL roster and then back onto an NFL field after temporarily dying on one a year ago. Comebacks don't get much bigger than that to me, even if he didn't earn the kind of playing time he did before his cardiac incident. So I think that kind of sums up my opinion on Comeback Player of the Year, right? It's a fuzzy concept. There's no real clear definition of it. But comebacks do not get much better than to me than coming back from death to play in an NFL game again. I don't care how much you played in the NFL game. That was achieving comeback player of the year for me. Comeback player of the year is a very odd award because like you said, there is no definition. And I, I laugh at at what you said at the beginning of that blurb where you, where you said Baker Mayfield came back from being terrible. Yeah. He didn't like have a catastrophic injury. Something didn't happen. He was just bad. And like now he is somehow up for comeback player of the year. I don't know. The ambigu the ambiguousness ambiguity. of the award is yeah, ambiguity. That's the word that I was looking for. Um of the award is very silly to me, but for certainly as open ended as it is, it literally does not get more comeback player of the year than uh, than what DeMar Hamlin, Hamlin has been able to do since going through that uh, last season. So, yes, DeMar Hamlin is the obvious and only choice for comeback player of the year. I agree. I think I think people focusing on the playing time thing are just missing the point. Like, we all watched late at night. We watched this guy die on the field, right? And somehow an incredible group of medical staff brought him back. And then... From that point on, from being in the hospital, from being in a coma essentially for a couple of days until they brought him out of it, he went from that point to being back to to getting back to the level that most people never make it to in the first place. Like there are thousands of, of good players every year that never make it to the NFL, right? They get close, they're undrafted, they're good college players, whatever. They never see an NFL field. Hamlin did it one time, was playing a ton for the Bills before he, he had his cardiac arrest, and then went from dying and got back there again and okay maybe he's not 
the player that he was before, or maybe, you know, he'll never get that kind of playing time again, but he made it back. That, it doesn't get, the comebacks do not get bigger than that. They just don't. No, no. I agree. I agree. Excellent. Joe Flacco, Joe, if, if DeMar Hamlin would have never experienced this, I would be giving it to Joe Flacco. Yeah. But there's... Right. I, there, to, you know, to me... I think the, that, that one, that one's also, like, not debatable. Right. Like, pe- people, people talk about, there was... One like odds maker site uh, that I looked up for comeback player of the year has Matthew Stafford in there. I'm like, did Stafford really miss a lot of time last year? No, he didn't. He just was like kind of okay last year. And then now he's really good. <laughs> How is that comeback player of the year? What is this? No, yeah. no, it's, it's, it, if, if you, if it's not DeMar Hamlin, which is obviously should be DeMar Hamlin, to then me, it would be Joe Flacco. To me, the DeMar, DeMar Hamlin won this award the second he played an NFL snap again. It was like Alex Smith, right? When Alex Smith went out after yes. his leg and got a snap, I he won comeback player of the year. If he had played Wait. one snap and left the game, I would have given him comeback player of the year, never come back. The fact that he played a few games after that is completely irrelevant to me. The comeback was secured once you completed the comeback and played NFL football again in both cases. Sleeper comeback player of the year. Zach Wilson, because Zach Wilson, didn't he like get benched multiple times, right? Yeah. Like plays, gets benched, comes back, is the starter, gets benched, comes back. So he had like, you know, he, he, if, if you're looking from a simply volume perspective, then I think Zach Wilson's got to be in here just because nice. he got benched multiple times and then had to play again. I like it. Okay. Circling back to the, uh, the Dwight Stevenson award. So this is PFF's attempt to kind of get rid of the silliness attached to MVP, where we get tied up in knots focusing on value. Um, forget value. Positions don't matter. Who is the best player in the NFL this past season, regardless of position? I think it's Tyree Kill, right? We talked at the very top of the show. This is where I'm giving the award to Tyree Kill, regardless of value, regardless of versatility, whatever. This dude's just been unbelievable. You mentioned if he's fully healthy this year, he's he has the greatest season we've ever seen from a wide receiver. If he, if he would have been fully healthy this year, you mentioned the yards per route run average, which is insane. <laughs> of the games that he has played, he has six games with a receiving grade above ninety. Six. It's ridiculous. And and if you want to take it from a wider league-based perspective, five of the top 11 graded games from wide receivers this year are Tyreek Hill. He, he has almost half of the top 11. It's it's just the, 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 the sheer dominance that this dude has when he steps on the football field. There are, there are phenomenal corners in this league. There, we have we have some incredibly talented cornerbacks across the NFL. You give me a full game, not one of them would lock down Tyreek Hill because it's impossible to me. You could say like, oh, like some games he has less catches than others, all these kinds of things. Like, okay, there are other factors that go into that. I'm talking about do you lock down this dude for a full game? I don't think there's a corner alive who could do it. And I think that we saw that a ton this year and he to me he was the best football player that we saw yeah i think it's i think it's a a, a kind of a coin flip between offense and defensive player of the year so i think tyreek hill was my offensive player of the year i think he's absolutely i wouldn't argue if somebody wants to make him the winner of this award Uh, i ended up going with miles garrett though I, i think those are the two candidates you know 
each one of them essentially, each one of them broke a PFF record that is effectively a rate stat measuring their overall performance at their job, right? In Tyreek Hill's case, it's how many yards did you gain for every route you ran over the course of the season? And in Miles Garrett's case, it's how often did you beat the blocker in front of you? And each one of them did that at a better rate than anybody we've ever seen in the last 17 years worth of grading. So I think each guy has a pretty strong case. I think Miles Garrett ends up being the guy for me. All right, there we go. All right, before we get into the rest of the uh, PFF-specific awards, it's time to say this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs. Um, they're bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to use code PFF. New customers can bet just 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. There we go. You just you just got to get through it once, and then you start to get into the flow of the uh, the numbers written out as letters thing. It's not as You're confusing the second time around as it was the first time around. All right. Uh, best receiver. So I think we've pretty much covered this one already. It's Tyreek Hill, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I actually I actually didn't have this one on my. Uh, oh, that's right. Those little, are the on, uh, my, on my on my little list here. But, I'm reading uh, through the. Uh, I'm reading yeah, through. The overall uh, article, rather than the ones that we're covering on this podcast, but yeah, this is this this is Tyreek. Yeah, sure. so there's a reason for that. Is because it was Tyreek. All right, it's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this, Adidas. Best offensive lineman. So this is where I like, you know, this is where I like the PFF grading and the things that we do and that we're capable of doing better than anybody else because we're, the, we're out there grading and quantifying every single offensive line snap, uh, both in terms of pass protection and run game. And, you know, doing it in a way I think that offensive linemen tend not to like it because they don't like being measured. You know, for years, they escape scrutiny. <laughs> like the only people I had to worry about checking up on them were the offensive line coach in the meeting. Then PFF comes along and says, actually, this guy was down for whatever pressures. But when you look at, we, we save offensive line from a lot of pressures. You know, there are guys going, oh, look, your left tackle just gave up a sack. And PFF are the ones saying, nope, quarterback was hanging around at 10, 11 yards in the pocket. That's on him. That's not on the, li- that's not on the left tackle. He was blocking him to the correct depth. So anyway, best offensive lineman, who's your selection? So I'm going to go with Penny Sewell here, the offensive tackle from from the Detroit Lions. And I ended up going with Sewell. It, it was kind of an easy one for me because when you search that wins above replacement metric that PFF has, by far number one this year. Um, 0.61 is the 
highest grade or uh, highest wins above replacement average for an offensive tackle that we had recorded this season. I think next was Lane Johnson. He was like 0.44. So that just tells you the gap between what Penny Sewell was able to do. And a big reason why is because of the run blocking, you know, what he was able to do as a run blocker, 93.1 run blocking grade this season. But what I like more, and again, a, a more PFF unique stat here is we have impact run block percentage. And those, that is positively graded run blocking snaps. And he had an 18.7%, which is one of the highest marks of any of the offensive linemen that played as many snaps as he did, which is over 1,000 snaps at right tackle. So that number is very high. Then on the flip side, we have defeated run blocking percentage, which, okay, how many times do you grade negatively? And he only had a 10.7%, which is one of the lower marks of guys who played um, as many snaps as he did. So one of the lower marks for being defeated, one of the higher marks for uh, for, for those positively graded plays. And then when it came to pressures allowed, you know, pass blocking grade, 78.1. It wasn't the highest. There's certainly a handful of offensive linemen who are, who are higher than that you, that you could have gone with who have been better pass blockers this year. But when you pair what he has done in the run game with the fact that he only let up 22 pressures this year and had a pressure percentage of this 3.3, which was one of the lower marks in the league, it just shows you how well-rounded he was and um, playing offensive line, playing offensive tackle in this league, it's so hard to be great at both. And I, I really feel Penny Sewell was a standout player at both of those uh, categories, pass blocking and run blocking. That's why the wins above average score was so high and ultimately why I had to go with him as my offensive player of the year or offensive lineman of the year, I should say. Yeah. Um, no, he's been fantastic. His PFF run blocking grade for the year was what, 93.1? 93.1. Second highest we've ever seen, again, in 17 years. I think it's 17 years worth of grading. The only guy higher was Trent Williams in 2021, who had like an absolutely absurd 97.7 run blocking grade over the course of a season. But Panay Sewell has essentially had the second best run blocking season we've ever seen from an offensive lineman. I think he, I think he's the pick. Um, the other guys I had in the conversation were Trent Williams, who was still an absolute force. Um, and Frank Ragnow, his, his Lions teammate, I think at center, is another good candidate. Offensive line was tricky this year because a lot of the obvious candidates missed some time, you know, missed three, four games. And it's like, how, how important is that over the course of a season? Like, how much should you factor in that kind of missed time relative to some other players? So I, I think Sewell is definitely the right answer in this one. I'm trying to look up really quick. Williams, what was that? His 2020 season, Trent Williams season, or 2021? 21. I think it was, yeah, 21. <laughs> no. <laughs> Impact run block percentage of 21.1. That's just stupid. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like that year, That's he was an absolute. just ridiculous. Like bloodbath highlight reel of blocks. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. All right. All right. The last one I think we're talking about here um, breakout player of the year. So. The only rule for this is it can't be a rookie, right? So Puka Nakua or C.J. Stroud, they don't, they're not eligible for breakout player of the year because they're not really breaking out from anything. They're just like showing up day one out of the box ready, looking like a superstar. So somebody that's been in the NFL for at least a year and has now broken out um, this season, who would you go with? Nico Collins, baby. We yeah. talked. I mean, this is a, I guess it's a, a Texans centric podcast because if we were doing coach of the year, I don't know. Are we doing coach of the year or no? We doing, we doing coach of the year? Uh, I didn't write it down, but we can do it. I did D'Amico. I did D'Amico Ryan's for this one. So this is a big Texans appreciation podcast, I guess, because I'm also going with wide receiver Nico Collins here for breakout player of the year. 
90.6 receiving grade this year, and his previous high before this was 72.0. So, like, not terrible, but to go from 72.0, which I believe was last year, to an elite mark and what we're seeing this year, that, that kind of production has been incredible from Nico Collins. He has more than tripled his previous career high for a single season with receiving yards. So to me, that is the definition of what we were looking for here with a non-rookie breakout type of a player. Uh, had to give it to Nico Collins. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, I, there's tons of guys, I think, that that make sense for this award. Same in Houston. I think you can say Blake Cashman, the linebacker, had an incredible breakout season. Andrew Van Ginkle for the Dolphins was insane this year. Uh, yeah. Tyler Smith for the Cowboys. I know he played all last year, and people sort of liked how good he was, but he's he's gone from like pretty good starting guard to like all pro in in the space of one year. Deron Bland with his tons of uh, pick sixes, also a breakout guy. I think it. I think the answer though is Jordan Love. Um, you know, the, the Aaron Rodgers, like, game or pathway sits on the bench. This is, what, year four for him in the NFL. little bit of an inconsistent sort of rocky start for the first half of the year. But in the second half of the season, since week nine, he's been the second highest graded quarterback in the NFL. He's had some of the best individual games in the NFL. You look at his tape, you're seeing some insane, amazing plays, not just great throws, not just great accuracy, but, like, pocket manipulation and – you know, understanding how to move in the pocket and avoid pressure, but without just scrambling and, you know, trying to make a play with athleticism. I think Jordan Love has been the breakout player this year. That's a great one. I mean, Love has been, for all the reasons that you mentioned, Love has played so, so well. And, you know, he feels a little bit like a rookie, right? First year yeah. with him as a full-time starter, but he's not. And and I, I do hate that we have gone this far in the show without mentioning Jordan Love. And so the fact that you brought him up, very well deserved. I think that he is he's a great candidate for breakout player of the year. I agree. I, I had to check my official ballot because I'd forgotten who I had as coach of the year. I had D'Amico Ryan second, but I gave it to John Harbaugh. Um, I think uh -huh. relative to expectations, like people thought the Ravens would be good. I don't think anybody thought they'd be the best team in the AFC and now be the favorite for the Super Bowl coming out of that conference. I look. I don't. I want it. To, I don't want it to come off. It's like I don't think that John Harbaugh is like a fantastic coach. I think he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. But there are a handful of coaches that I would have gone with over John Harbaugh, just because the Ravens are extremely talented. I think that if we were doing assistant coach of the year, I, mine would be Mike McDaniel. Or, um, sorry, Mike McDonald for what he's done on the defensive side of the ball, what he's doing as defense coordinator. So the team's super talented. Obviously, Lamar, who's been a previous MVP, is playing at MVP level. So again. Not trying to make that some John Harbaugh slander, but the guys that I had for Coach of the Year, what D'Amico Ryans has done with a rebuilding defense, rebuilding offense, uh, very injured offensive line in the preseason, uh, not a great supporting cast of receiver, a rookie quarterback, a lot of young guys in the defense, and the fact that they went from a six-and-a-half over-under win total to winning their division and winning double-digit games, to me, that gives him the nod. I also would shout out Antonio Pierce for what he has done for the um, Las Vegas Raiders since Josh McDaniels got fired, going above 500, 5 and 4 since that time. And just what he has done, you could just tell like how he is changing the culture immediately within that team where things could have gone off the rails very, very quickly. And he did not let that happen because of his leadership and who he is as a coach. The other one that I would shout out is also Sean McVay, who, look, Sean McVay being a good coach isn't a surprise to anybody. But again, we looked at that Los Angeles Rams team at the beginning of the season. We said, yikes. 
outside of Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald and, and Matthew Stafford, who we got here. And they ended up making the playoffs and um, look like a team right now that it feels like nobody wants to face. And I think it's going to be a very, very fun um, and entertaining game that we see in Detroit with the Rams and the Lions this weekend. So those would be my three for Coach of the Year. Yeah, Theo Ash was the first person that I saw yesterday actually have Sean McVay as his Coach of the Year. Um, I hadn't even thought about that one much. I think there's a lot of really good Coach of the Year candidates, actually. Like, Shane Steichen was seen as one of the front runners until the Houston game in Week 18. Then it's like, no, he can't be. He just lost that game. You know, he didn't, he didn't get over the line, so he can't be Coach of the Year. Well, it's basically... You're probably giving it to what I, I think Steichen absolutely deserves a shout out because you know, Anthony Richardson goes down and they looked he looked like he was getting a lot out of Anthony Richardson. But then to somehow be a competent uh, playoff team fighting for a spot at the end is you're right. He deserves a shout out as well. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's just, it's like MVP, right? It's like you can when when two candidates face each other, one guy comes away with all of the, you know, all the marbles. It's like you only get you come out of that game with zero or 100 percent chance of being the guy. So Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryan's face off in week 18 with similarly impressive coach of the year resumes. Now we come out of it and it's like, oh, Steichen has no no candidacy now. It's all D'Amico Ryan's. Um, but anyway, I think those two guys definitely deserve praise. Uh, I already mentioned Harbaugh. You mentioned McVay. Um, I think a couple of guys that I don't see mentioned much at all, uh, Matt LaFleur for, I mean, the Packers were supposed to stink. Really, and they and they kind of they kind of did for a little stretch. Yeah, but, but then, then he, he got but then, they, but then he got him back on the rails. Right, then they brought it together. I think they have changed the offense that's helped Jordan Love as well. Like I think that's been a good coaching job that has the Packers looking really good now, running into the postseason with a legitimate chance to upset Dallas uh, in that first game. Um, obviously, Stefanski is another guy that that gets talked about. I think he might actually be the favorite right now, the betting uh, yeah, favorite. Yeah, I think he's the odds on favorite. Yeah. I struggle with that one a little bit. Clearly, he's done a good job, but the defense is the most impressive element of Cleveland, and that's bringing in Jim Schwartz, right? Who's another assistant coach of the year, like totally. candidate, right? So you know, I Jim. I, yeah, I don't want it to like when I brought it up with Mike McDonald. I don't want it to be too. Much, I don't want it to sound like that's too much of a detractor, right? Because you're still the head coach of the team, and. Cleveland still done, dealt with a ton of injuries like along the offensive line and obviously with Deshaun Watson. So Stefanski should certainly be in the conversation, but I don't know. I, I gravitate towards a couple of those other coaches, particularly D'Amico Ryans and Antonio Pierce for what they, what the teams that they were able to turn around with what it feels like is so much less. So I, I don't know. I kind of gravitate that way. Yeah. And then the other element is, you know, Joe Flacco, right? Like Joe Flacco has kind of rescued this season at the death. And I, I don't know how much of that is coaching and how much of that is you just stumbled into magic, like lightning in a bottle randomly late in the year in December. Like I, you know, I, if you want to be kind, you credit Stefanski and you're like the man's a mastermind. It's all come together. Alternatively, you can look at that and say, okay, he's clearly done a reasonable job, but most of the heavy lifting was Jim Schwartz in the defense, and then I, I feel like we've kind of gotten lucky in stumbling into Joe Flacco magic. I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't. I feel like he gets credit for for what he that the whole team has done, even with Joe Flacco, even with the experience and them getting him and all that. Like, to, what did you say? It's it's QB four for them. Yeah, that's uh, for them to be where they're at, winning double digit games while still being at QB four. That's. A really good hedge coach job so i i would give him the nod i don't again i don't think i i probably would give it to one of those other guys that i mentioned but 
that doesn't mean that those coaches didn't have great years. And then Dan Campbell probably deserves a shout out as well. Like, yeah, okay. we didn't mention him and he absolutely does. Yeah. I think that we just talked about Dan Campbell a lot. So maybe we've got Dan Campbell fatigue, yeah. but you're right. And, you're and right. you know, relative to some other teams, I mean, the lions were supposed to be good and they have been good. So it's, you know, it's always easier to sort of say, well, this team was supposed to be bad and they've been good. Therefore the coaching job was amazing. There is an achievement to to act to meet expectations even when the expectations were high particularly for a team like Detroit where they haven't been there before right okay the Ravens are really good but Harbaugh's been there and done it you know he knows how to make that happen this is the first time the Lions have been good in years and even though we expected it to happen I still think it's a good coaching job to make sure you followed through and get there because there were times where it could have gone off the rails and it didn't I agree all right. I agree. So we have uh, several other awards that are PFF specific. You can find those on PFF.com, but those are all the ones we're going to run through today on the PFF NFL podcast. Um, I will be back tomorrow previewing the weekend, the wildcard games. I believe that's with Brad. But Trev, it's been, a, it's been a sincere pleasure, good sir. Thank you for giving me your uh, votes for the awards, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening.